Amen. Good morning. If you uh, hopefully faithfully were actively listening to the prayer you just heard, uh, you would have heard Corey tell you where we are going to be. If you have been listening actively to the scripture readings uh, today, clearly we are starting a new series. We are in a new book of the Bible. Uh, If you missed all of that, and maybe you tuned out, maybe you were already thinking about lunch or thinking about whatever it is, and you might have missed what was just being said, uh, let me encourage you then at this moment to uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. Uh, we're getting ready to start a new series where we're going to walk through uh, the, uh, the letter of 1 Peter together. And so um, I hope you will join us in that. And so uh, with that being said, I do want to encourage you a couple things. First of all, um, if you missed uh, what was happening in service today and didn't catch up on the references that were already made through the scripture readings or here in the prayer that we were going to be in First Peter, let me encourage you to pick up a book that I think would help you. It's not even really a book. It's more of a primer. It's more, really, you could probably read the whole thing in one sitting. It's called Listen Up. Um, it is available in the foyer for free. We would love for you to get that. Um, and I think that'll be a good way, whether you find yourself teaching uh, or whether you find yourself sitting under the teaching or listening to the Word of God. It's just a great way to help all of us uh, get a better glimpse and a better picture of how we can actively listen uh, to what is going on in service and even to affirm what is happening in the life of our service as well. And so with that, I would encourage you that at any point during our singing, um, as Corey and the team seek to encourage you, or at any point during the preaching, as uh, whoever's preaching, whether it's me or one of our other elders preaching, uh, seeking to encourage you according to the Word, Uh, It would be a great encouragement to us if you could affirm what is being said with a hearty amen every now and then. And so uh, thank you, whoever that was. Um, I love that already. Um, Or you can flex on it, whatever you want to do. Just let me know. Um, That's just a great motivation, okay? I love that two people just actually flexed at me. That was wonderful. Thank you, guys. Uh, We haven't even gotten into the sermon, so already we have a good start. So anyway, I do want to say again, thank you so much for praying for Corey, praying for myself as we were away at conference this week. Uh, Man, we again... Had a wonderful time, uh, completely immersed and encouraged by the Word of God, uh, hearing faithful preaching. Uh, it was just a wonderful time with like-minded brothers and sisters. Uh, it was a wonderful time of worship. Um, I don't know how to describe it other than to tell you if you're in a room with 12,000 people um, and you were just literally singing at the top of your lungs just the goodness and the grace of God and the, the power and the beauty and the mystery of Jesus Christ and the cross and the wonderful work of the blood. Uh, it was just awesome. It was so loud and singing that you really couldn't even hear yourself singing. And so um, I, uh, I, I don't know if this is selfish or not, but I actually recorded a couple of clips of the singing just so anybody could see it because it's one thing to talk about it. It was a totally different thing to see and experience it. But anyway, we, we were able to worship together. We were able to grow together and be encouraged by the Word of God under some phenomenal preaching and teaching of some incredible brothers in Christ. And really, we were just able to enjoy some much-needed fellowship and much-needed encouragement, both with new brothers that we had just met as we got there and sat at tables and, and shared meals together, but then also some brothers that are uh, old in our relationships, brothers that we have known for a while. And so it's just good to be encouraged. So thank you for those prayers. Um, I think it's safe to say that Corey and I are both coming back refreshed, recharged, uh, maybe a little leery from the 13-hour drive. Uh, that's not something I would recommend. Uh, but man, we had a great time in the car together, uh, but physically a little tired, a little sore from that. But uh, we are recharged. We are ready to tackle uh, this new season that we are in. And so with that, today we're going to be starting a new series where we are going to join uh, with the exiles who are walking walking with and walking through First uh, Peter together. So um, I, as we jump into this series, I want to tell you that I personally believe that this series is going to be good for us as a faith family for uh, several reasons. The first one really being a selfish reason uh, for me. Um, I think it'll be nice to simply
actively walk through a book of the Bible together again. Um, while I'm thankful uh, for the Advent season into Christmas, and I'm thankful that with the start of the new year, we were able to jump into uh, the marks of a healthy church and what that looks like. And I believe that was a wonderful time of teaching and understanding the Word of God together. Uh, there's just something good about being together under the Word of God, walking verse by verse through a particular book of the Bible. I personally enjoy that because when people call and they say, hey, pastor, I'm a little upset about what you said uh, this past week, it's nice to be able to say back to them, well, uh, you can be upset all you want, but your issue is really with the word of God. It's not with me at all. And so uh, it's just nice to know that. Also, spoiler alert with that, um, it's just nice to know that you know exactly where we're going to be each and every week. So as believers in Christ, we can prepare uh, together for where we're going to be over the next several weeks and several months as we walk through this letter together. This is more my speed and something that I really enjoy. Now, my second reason and our second reason together is really when you when it comes to the theme of this particular book in First Peter, Peter reminds the Christians that we are the elect exiles. And we're going to talk more about that with the teaching this morning. You see, as Christians today, we are simply passing through this world. We are passing through on a pilgrimage or on a journey, if you will, that's going to lead us homeward. And so what we're going to see Peter talk about throughout this letter is the journey that we are now called to and how we are to continue to press onward in what it is that Jesus has Jesus Christ has called us to and ultimately onward in this pilgrimage that will end with the coming kingdom. So in this particular letter, and again, this is an introductory sermon. So if this is the first time you've been with us, when we start a new series, we generally start with a bigger introduction to kind of help set up where we're going to be over the next few weeks. So just kind of prepare yourself for that. But within this particular letter, Peter is going to focus on three specific uh, relationships that we're going to see repeated throughout the letter. The first one is going to be the Christian relationship with God who elected them. The second will be the Christian relationship with the world that we now live in. And the third is the Christian relationship with other brothers and sisters who are on this journey with us as well. So as a church this morning, our journey begins today. So Let's allow the Word of God through First Peter to remind us of who we are and where this journey will ultimately end, which is at the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to begin with Peter's opening greeting, where we're going to meet the author, we're going to meet and see a little more of the audience and who it was that Peter was writing to, and then we will begin to see that we as exiles are really living as strangers in a strange land. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Peter. We are only going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And so if you have found your place in the Word, and you can, and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for your word. 
And God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have over these next several moments just to be able to, to worship you by your word. Father, we praise you that we've been able to worship you in song today. We praise you that we've been able to worship you through prayer and through the hearing of your word. And God, in these next few moments, as we seek to, to unpack your word together, Father, prepare our hearts, our minds, our, ear, our eyes, and our ears to your truth. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified. So help us to faithfully and actively listen, prepare our hearts, not only for today's message, but the ones to come as we continue to walk through this letter together. Father, we seek to make much of your name. We recognize that this place is not our home. We recognize that we, as your people, reside in a different kingdom. And so, God, I pray that we would see that today. I pray that we'd be encouraged by that today. And God, through your truth, may you be lifted up and glorified above all else. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for the hope that we have in you. And God, we pray that you'd be glorified in these next few moments. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could just go ahead and jump into this letter. This letter clearly opens uh, this morning by telling us who the author of the letter is. It's the very first word that we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and that is Peter. Now, we know that Peter wrote this letter while living in Rome, probably sometime around A.D. 65. And we also know that Peter wrote this letter more than likely from a lifetime of a wisdom and a lifetime of conviction. You see, Peter had experienced everything that could be experienced in life. It was Peter who had experienced the goodness of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was Peter who experienced the joy of walking with Jesus. And yet it was Peter who experienced the trials that come from being a believer. It was Peter who had experienced the sufferings of being a Christian and the persecution that would come with it. And so in writing this letter, we begin to get a glimpse that Peter is sharing with the faithful uh, some of the same trials and sufferings that are similar to the ones that the church is experiencing as Peter writes. Peter tells us that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we now know that Peter, right here in this letter, was clearly one of the original 12. You see, Peter was God's ambassador. He was chosen by Jesus Christ to see the deeds of Christ, to hear the words of Christ, and then to ultimately, after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, to then declare what all the words of Christ meant to people who desperately needed it. You see, Peter clearly had the right to talk about salvation. Peter clearly had the right and the authority to talk about grace and the right and the authority to talk about peace. And it was Peter who could explain their significance to the believers within the local church. So as we read this letter, let's realize that we are reading a letter through the lens of a disciple and a direct apostle of Jesus Christ our Lord. So there is simply no denying this morning who Peter is, nor is there any denying the fact that he is the author of this particular letter. Now, who exactly is Peter? Who is this apostle 
of Jesus Christ, if you will. Well, we know, again, that he was one of the original OGs. He was one of the original 12. We also know that Peter was one of the three that was in the inner circle along with James and John. We read about this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, again in Mark chapter 9, and we see it again in Mark chapter 14. Now, we know that Peter was probably the most outspoken of the apostles, and he was considered to be the leader of the group. In fact, when you read in Matthew chapter 16, we see that Peter was the one who confessed who Jesus Christ was. When Jesus asked, who do you you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And yet it was Peter who was the same apostle who tried to rebuke Jesus. It was Peter who made some rash and irrational vows Toward Jesus Christ. And it was Peter who, by the time we get to the Gospel of John, chapter 18, who would deny ever knowing Jesus Christ. And yet, despite his failures, it would be Jesus upon his resurrection who would reinstate Peter as an apostle. It was Jesus who would then command Peter to to feed his sheep, a role that upon all that has happened and taken place in the life and the ministry of Peter, a role that he did not take lightly, nor did he ever take it for granted at this point. In fact, when you flip over to Acts chapter 2, we see that it's Peter who is preaching the good news of the gospel. It is Peter who is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And we read that 3,000 came to faith that day. And thus the New Testament church was born. In fact, when we continue to read through Acts, by the time we get to Acts chapter 10, we've seen Peter as the apostle who has performed signs and wonders. It is Peter who continually testifies of Jesus being the Messiah, of Jesus being the Christ. It is Peter who is willingly and faithfully solving problems within the early church. And it's still Peter who is rebuking sin from within the early church as well. You see, that is the author of our letter today. One who knew the hardships and trials of being a believer. One who knew the persecutions and and carried his own scars. Yet at the same time, one who loved Jesus Christ so much that when faced with the leader saying to him, never speak of this Jesus again, he looked at them and said, you can say what it is that you want to say, but as for me, I'm going to continue to faithfully teach and preach the goodness of Jesus Christ. It was Peter who was there when the New Testament church started. It was Peter who had a love for the church. Now from there, we have to move into who exactly is Peter writing to. You see, he is the author, but who is our audience? Well, Peter tells us this morning who they are. You look back in the text and he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatian, Cappadocian, Asia, and Bithynia. You see, Peter this morning is telling us that this letter that he is writing is written to everyone, but it's specifically written to the believers in the churches that exist either east or northeast, if you will, of Rome. And Peter calls them the elect of God. Now, again, that's not to say the other regions to the north, northwest, south, west, and southwest were not the elect of God as well, but Peter wanted to remind them of who they are. More on that in a moment. But just to give you an idea of the amount of people and the size of the area that this letter would cover. You see, this was a fairly sizable area that we're talking about when you talk about the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
You see, we're talking about an area that would probably be roughly the size of modern-day Turkey, if you will. This would have covered about 750,000 square miles. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but I want to go ahead and tell you, um, as a history person, one thing that I can faithfully say to you this morning is geography wasn't really my thing, okay? So when you, you may be like me this morning, and when you hear turkey, you think of Thanksgiving and that special bird that comes out that blesses your lunch or dinner. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. If you were to ask me to draw turkey at this moment, that's what I'm drawing, okay? Now, I'm sure there are students in the room who could probably draw the the boundaries of modern-day Turkey. They could probably list out the capital and praise God if that's you. But if that's not you, let me give you a different visual this morning, okay? When we're talking about 750,000 square miles, roughly the size of modern-day Turkey, a better way to think about that is think of an area that stretches across the southwest United States from Texas all the way to California, So clearly this letter is going to cover a lot of ground. And so because of that, we now know that this letter is not a local letter. It was not meant to be read by one particular church dealing with one particular issue, but rather this was a universal letter written to the universal church, which means that this letter can be read and understood by the churches throughout the area all the way to churches that exist today. So as we read 1 Peter together, like anything else we read in the Word of God, We should begin to see the similarities in what Peter is saying and speaking to, to what it is that we are seeing and experiencing today as a church. Therefore, as we read 1 Peter, whether you read it at home in preparation for worship, or you read it post-service just to get some more understanding, or, or maybe you read it for the first time when we're together on Sunday mornings, let's see that we too have much to learn from this particular letter. Now, I want you to notice this morning how Peter describes the audience. Notice he calls them the exiles of the dispersion. Now, in saying that, Peter is speaking specifically of the Christians who have been scattered beyond the border of Palestine. He is now uh, calling to them, and they are now known as exiles or strangers living in a place that is not their own. Now, I love how Peter uses this wording, and I love the, the play on words that we now have here. You see, in calling the Christians elect exiles, which is a phrase I would highlight or underline or circle if you're one of those folks in your Bible, Peter is now telling us or telling the Christians that though we are chosen by God, though we have been privileged by God's grace and privileged by the blessing of his goodness, we are still at a disadvantage in society. Why? Because as Peter tells us in calling us exiles, this place is not our home. You see, Peter notes the fact that where we dwell as believers in Jesus Christ, this this place is temporary. And so what Peter does is he compares the church to a group of travelers whose stay really is measured more in weeks or in months. And how that would translate for us today is, is maybe even years. You see, I want you to think about this for a moment, whether, whether God takes us soon or whether by God's grace we live to be 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, we are simply 
just pilgrims traveling through this world. It is not our home. This place is temporary. If you live in Brandon your whole life, this home is temporary. If you never live anywhere outside of the state of Florida, that is temporary. If you don't live in anywhere else in the world and it's just the United States, it is still temporary. No matter where you go as a Christian, this home is not our own. You see, we belong to a greater kingdom. We belong to a far country, and it's not here. You see, Peter wants the church to see as exiles that we never fully have, nor will we ever fully belong to this world. We have no permanent residence here. We don't hold, nor will we ever hold, positions of power or superiority. Now, sure, we may live in a day and a time in a country where we can enjoy some of the comforts for a while, but let's realize that we only enjoy these comforts by the grace of God and also because of the fact that we are simply being tolerated. But here Peter reminds us that we are exiles in this place. Therefore, we will never be completely satisfied nor at home in this world. Man, if I could just unpack that for you for a moment, let me say it this way. We live in a country right now where we have freedoms. And we have the freedom to worship. We have the freedom to gather. No one can stop us at this moment from gathering as a church. No one can stop us at this moment from proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. No one can stop us at this moment in this country from telling people about Jesus. But I want you to notice in each one of those phrases, I said to you, at this moment. Because at any point that could change. Because this place is not our home. You know, I've heard a lot of people say over the years, that the United States is a Christian nation. I want to tell you that that is not true, has never been true, nor will ever be true. Yes, we have values and principles that are guided according to the word of God that are a part of our foundational documents, which is true, good, right, and beautiful. But the reality is this, the United States of America is not our home. Our home is with the kingdom of God. Our home is with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now this may sound or or seem painful or frustrating for us to, to think about this morning, but I want you again to see these words through the lens of Peter. You see, Peter was the one who followed Jesus Christ from the beginning. Peter was the one who left his family. Peter was the one who left his business to wander all over Galilee and all over Judea with Jesus Christ. And so by the time Peter writes this letter, Peter not only finds himself as an outsider living in Rome, which is his new location, but he's now also an outsider within his own home that exists in Israel. Now, does this mean that Peter resented his status? The answer to that question is absolutely not. You see, Peter knew that his identity was in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Peter savored the call that Christ had placed upon his life. You see, we see this when Peter wrote to the believers. And notice that when he wrote to them and describing them, 
Notice that he ignores their race. Notice that he ignores their ethnicity. Notice that he ignores their language. And ultimately what he does in writing to them is he defines the church as God's elect. You see, he does this when he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Notice in the text that Peter reminds the church of their status with Christ along with the privileges and the responsibilities that come as being believers in Jesus Christ. So literally what Peter is telling us in this phrase is he's saying to us, look church, you are the elect. You have been chosen by God. You were chosen by God before time. That should assure you that God looked upon you in the midst of your sin and looked upon me in the midst of our sin, in the midst of the death that comes with sin, and he said, you are mine. Peter says to the church, look, you have been redeemed by the triune God. It was the Father who chose you according to his foreknowledge. And it's God who knows you before you even knew yourself. Church, you have been sanctified by the Spirit. You have been set apart for obedience to the Son who atoned for your sin by the shedding of his blood. And Peter goes on to tell us, and it wasn't just a few mere drops. No, you are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, there is power in the blood. And so there is no doubt that as Christians today, we are his. I mean, what an incredible word of affirmation that we have from Peter. I mean, listen, we're going to go around this world and people are going to call us all kinds of things. They're going to call us haters. They're going to call us ignorant. They're going to call us bigots. I don't know, they're going to call us all kinds of things. Other things I don't want to mention because I know there are children in the room. But here's the reality. Do you know what Peter says that we are? He says that you're redeemed. He says that you're chosen. He says that you have been sanctified, that you were covered, that you were forgiven. He says that you and me have been made alive because we are the elect exiles. I mean, again, hear what Peter is saying to us this morning. This place is not our home, but Peter has just told us this. He has said to us, look, this place is not your home, but know this, Christian, you belong to something better. You belong to something greater. So if you're here this morning and you're wondering, is this all there is? Is this as good as it gets? Is this as all there is when it comes to life? Peter would say to you, no, this is not all that we are. And no, this is not as good as it's going to get. It's going to get better because we belong to Jesus Christ. Thank you. As Christians living in exile, we find ourselves living between two worlds today. There is the one world that is eternal there is the one world that is eternal with, with other like-minded brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ gathered in the kingdom of God. And then there is the second world, which is this frail and weak 
and fleshly carnal world that we now belong to. And sure, man, we may, as people, as mankind, we may want things to go well in this world. Sure, we may want the perfect home. Sure, we may want to to live in the perfect neighborhood. We may want the perfect team at the perfect school, and we may want the, the perfect life on this planet. But Peter tells us, look, there's a problem. As strangers and exiles, we will never perfectly belong to or fit in to this pagan society. You see, the reality is we may feel different. The reality is we may not even like being different. But that is who we are as Christians. We are different, at least partially so. Coming back to the text, Peter did say that we are strangers. He said that we are exiles. In fact, some translations say that Peter said that we are aliens. However, notice that Peter never tells us to alienate ourselves from the world by abandoning it or by cursing it. In fact, if you go over and read, and many of us have this memorized in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, verse 16, we read that God did not abandon his creation. Rather, he sent his son to redeem creation. He sent it to restore it and one day to come again and fully renew it. And so as those living for Christ in this world, though it is temporary, we as believers who have been called to this very moment, we who by God's divine providence have been set together right in this place, we have been called to form, reform, and transform the area the Lord has us all for the glory of God. And we do it wherever we can, and we do it with whomever we can, not abandoning the dwelling that God has called us to. Now I want to tell you, this is not a a new idea Okay, This is not something that Peter talked about and all of a sudden the modern church is figuring out. No, this is something that we've actually seen throughout modern church history. In fact, if I could share a story with you real quickly, uh, in the 16th century as a plague swept through much of Italy and Switzerland, it was one of the great Protestant reformers, John Calvin, who was called upon to care for both the spiritual and physical needs for the people, so much so that many doctors recorded this of John Calvin. They said of him, he introduced hitherto unsurpassed hygienic measures whereby the ravages of the plague were now arrested. You see, John Calvin understood the words of Peter when he tells us that we are exiles in this world. And yet at the same time, we are also called to be agents of change from within the temporary dwellings that God has called us to. Now let me unpack what I'm talking about here. Yes, as Christians, we are to flee from corruption. But as reformers, we seek to engage the world for the glory of God. Notice this is not a call to one or the other, but rather we are called to a both and kind of ministry. Peter knew this all too well, and this is what he shared in the opening of his letter to the church. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, do we see how we are now to live in the world, but not of the world? How as Christians are we abstaining from that which is corrupt and yet at the same time engaging a world that needs the good news of Jesus Christ? This is the question that Peter calls us to wrestle with in his opening words. 
Now notice in coming back to the text, we get to the end of our passage. But honestly, again, I want to remind you, it's really the beginning of this letter. Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now again, I want to tell you, if you're one of those folks who are taking notes this morning, write that phrase down, underline it in your Bibles, highlight it, memorize it, whatever you got to do. Remember that phrase, hold on to it, because the reality is this, as we continue to walk through 1 Peter together, we're going to see that phrase come up again and again and again. And so if anyone this morning understood the power behind grace, if anyone understood the power behind peace, it would be Peter. Again, it was Peter who denied Christ three times. And yet it was Peter who knew the multiplying power of grace that comes from Jesus Christ our Lord. We know according to the Gospel of Luke chapter 22 and John chapter 21 that Peter wept, that he repented, that he was restored by our risen Savior. Peter understood the need for grace and so as he writes later, he also sees and knows firsthand the meaning of suffering as a believer and the meaning of the pain that comes in hardship as a believer. After all, Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you say, man, as a Christian, I am facing persecution in my work, or as a Christian, man, I'm facing persecution in my community, or man, as Christians all over this world, they are experiencing persecution, Peter would say to you, yes. Yes, they are. And I understand it. You see, Peter and his greeting and throughout this letter is going to begin to unfold for us how suffering can create confidence within those who believe. Think about that for a moment. Suffering can create confidence within those who believe. You see, this comes back to who Peter is. Peter was a backwater fisherman. Maybe you could say he was a backwoods fisherman, depending on what part of the country you're from. It was Peter who was shunned by his own home. It was Peter, at the time of this writing, who is now living in the heart of an empire that is not his own. And so he prays for the believers. And he asks God to increase in each Christian the measure of grace and a measure of peace. Notice he doesn't just pray that all Christians will have grace and peace, but he prays that they will have and know grace and peace in an overflowing, overwhelming, and an abundant way. Why? Because living in the grace and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord is what sets us apart as Christians today. You see, as Christians, it's what keeps us calm in trials. It's the grace and peace of God. As Christians, it's what gives us hope in the midst of hardship. It's the grace and peace of God. As Christians, it's what keeps us focused on the pilgrimage and the onward call that we are now on until our journey comes to an end, whether the Lord calls us home or he returns. We are hailed by the grace and peace of God. It is the grace and peace of God that reminds us 
Not only the hope that we now have, but the hope that is waiting for us when our journey ends. And so Peter prays. Peter prays and he says that we have this grace and we have this peace in abundance by the glorious richness of Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Peter begins his letter with a word of hope for the elect exiles. Do we see as those who are exiled where our hope now lies? Do we know that this place is not our home, but that there is a day coming where we will arrive, and man, what a day that will be. We're just on a journey right now, and one day the journey will end, and we will see him face to face, and what a day that'll be. You see, as Christians, our beliefs and practices will always remain at odds with society. Our beliefs and practices will always remain at odds with culture. This is not just true of us today, but it was also true of Peter's day as well. And so as we continue in Peter's writing, he is going to show us that suffering is prominent for those who believe. But he will remind us of the grace and peace that comes from the goodness of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we may never fully understand the world. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have not been keeping up with the news at all this week. I made that mistake over the weekend, and I am thoroughly confused about several things that are happening all over our world right now. But Peter assures us that we may never understand it, other than to say it's the sin nature and the fallen state of the world. That's a great place to start. We may never fit into the world's plans, but as believers, we are called to engage the world with the hope that can be found in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So as strangers, as aliens, as exiles, how will we pass on that hope? How will we be agents of change? How will we speak and walk and lead differently? And so as Peter continues to write, he will show us that we are merely travelers. He will show us that we are on a pilgrimage. And our time in this temporal home is short. But we are going to see that we are called to make a difference while we are here. And so the charge for the believer will forever and always be onward, continuing in a forward direction. So as we travel through this letter, let's be reminded at every stop along the journey that Peter is writing to the church. He's writing to us. He is asking for God to multiply grace and peace in us. And he reminds us with every word that we are the elect exiles chosen by God. Let's pray together.